There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is the podcast about infertility, IVF, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Gabby. And I'm Emma. And we are both card carrying members of the Infertility Club. Yes, we are. day to you. Good day. Good morrow. Good morrow. That's nice, isn't it? It's episode 7. Yeah, 2.7. <laughs> we need to do a We always have to time. add the 2 in because it just makes us feel like we've achieved something, yeah, like you know? Yeah, 2 series. Not like we've gone woo, back to 7. No, no. 2.7. It's actually um, episode 28. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, there you go. I think so. Unless, yeah, I think so because I think the Christmas one was 21. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, that's fun for everyone, isn't it? Yeah, what what bants we serve up? <laughs> Freshly cooked bants. Oh yeah, all the giggles over here. Um, hope you're all well. We are very excited to be doing the Thriver event this Thursday. Yes, we are. So I know that um, some of our listeners are coming, which is exciting. Really excited to meet you all. Um, essentially, right now we're just bragging because you can't get tickets. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, not that. But some of you already have. Yeah, some of you already have. Um, And yeah, it's just gonna be really fun, isn't it? We're just gonna talk about hormones. Hormones, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Because they've um, they've brought out two new female hormone tests. One that tests for whether you've got hormone imbalance that's like causing acne and mood swings and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And then one for the menopause. So that's basically gonna be the chats of the event. But you can hear it when we do our live podcast bonus episode yeah you so can. you don't have to be too jealous <laughs> um it's gonna be a lot of fun though i'm really excited i've got a new dress oh me too you've seen mine it's green have i yeah when did you buy it it's like apple green color oh we bought it together yeah. apple green no avocado i'd say avocado yeah. yeah yeah really nice color same color that i noticed alice rose wore at oh. her and cat's event yeah She'll think you're copying. If she wears the same suit, you're done for. Oh, no, no, we'll look really great together. (laughs) That's true. That was such a good suit. I'm so jealous. (laughs) Alice, I'm jealous. Um, I don't know if my dress is going to go with your dress. I've got like a blue and white dress. Oh, mate, you'll have to wear something else. Yeah, shit. Back to the drawing board. Yeah. Um, So this week, we really excited, actually, about this one. Mm -hmm. We spoke to Rohan Silver. Yeah. Um, which was recorded in kind of at the beginning of February, we yep. should say. So you've heard us say a couple of times on various at various points, we're in Second Home. Um, and that's because we recorded it at Second Home because he's the founder of Second Home. Yeah. Which is like a co-working space. Yeah. Um, and he's also been an advisor to the government. Yeah, he was like a kind of big cheese in the kind of startup tech scene, wasn't he? Yeah. So he was like an innovation advisor. Yeah. And he does, um, I think he does a weekly 
uh, column in The Standard. He does. Um, talking about all things innovation and entrepreneurship. And yeah, he's just a really, really lovely guy. Mm-hmm. And then a few months a few months ago, like maybe a couple of years ago, he started writing about IVF and infertility mm. and what he was going through. Yeah. Well, I think I spotted it about mm. six months ago. Yeah, you did. Yeah. In the standard. In the standard. Yeah. Um. And yeah, just just like such an interesting guy. I've actually wanted to meet him for a really long time. So I'm glad that we had an excuse to. Yeah. Um. And we just had a really nice chat. There's quite a lot of background noise because we were at his at second home. Yeah. Which is... It's an really industrious cool. place yeah, full is. of enterprising people. Yeah, and people having really loud meetings. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you'll hear about that. You'll hear a bit of aircon. Oh, we love a bit of aircon. We do love a bit of aircon. So, um, you know, just atmosphere. Yeah, guys. Yeah. Just close your eyes and picture the scene. Yeah. Um, we also spoke to Professor Tim Child. You did. Medical director at Oxford Fertility. Uh-huh. About yes. intralipids. Intralipids. Yeah. Yeah, which... Um, this is another one that I know very little about. Yeah, but it's something, it's another one of those add-on treatments mm. that loads of people go through. And we'll, obviously we'll talk about a little bit more about that yes. later. Yeah. Yeah. And also this, in this week's bit about us talking about our week, which we recorded in the middle of February, um, you had a bit of a scary week. I did have a scary week, yeah. Um, we won't talk too much about it because no. you have a listen, but... But it's, an, it's one of those interesting things nobody talks about with IVF. Yeah. So uh, please enjoy that. Yeah. That's a bit of a cliffhanger, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Uh-huh. Dun, dun, dun. What happened to Gabby? <laughs> nobody knows. Um, and that leaves us to say, please rate and review us. Please. Wherever you get your podcasts. Especially on Apple Podcasts. Especially on Apple Podcasts. Um, and also please follow us on Instagram. At Big Fat Negative. On Facebook. Big Fat Negative. On Twitter. At Big Fat Negative. Or you can email us. Big Fat Negative Podcast at gmail.com. Please enjoy the show. Bye. Lovingly gazing at you from across the mic. You alright? Yeah, I'm okay. Are you alright? Yeah. It's been a bit of a dramatic one. Yeah? Yep. Um, let's start, cast our minds back to a week ago. A week ago? Mm, it's a week ago. I was in the shower using my Dr. Bronner's body wash and I found a lump in my breast. Cool. Yeah. Um... I mean, <clears throat> it was uh, quite hard, quite sizable. Um, I've had like swollen glands before under my like armpit towards my breast and had those checked out, but this felt completely different and I obviously freaked out. Uh, that's scary. Yeah. Um, I mean, my brain went to some pretty dark places. Well, but also, that's where your brain would go naturally, I think, right? in that situation. Um and uh, like I very coolly and calmly like finished my shower, got dressed, put mm-hmm. my makeup on, didn't say anything to my husband, left the house, walked to. I was just like completely in my brain, like I was freaking out. Um, and I, I, my like my what uh, obviously my thoughts were along the lines of uh, it's cancer, you know. One in whatever people, one in three people are bound to get cancer. None of my friends have cancer, so I'm obviously the one that has cancer. One in three. One in three. It's me. 
And then, like any good IVF patient, I was like, well, this is going to fucking fuck up my cycle, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do an embryo transfer if I've got breast cancer. Um, it's always important to have priorities. I know, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, but then I started doing some reading and I read around and it's like, you know, lots of breast lumps are not cancer. It's very common, blah, blah, blah. So I started to feel a bit better because I was definitely freaking out about it um I rang the GP Mm -hmm. and they were so good like they were like okay what is it about and I was like oh I found a lump in my breast and they were like right okay um a doctor will call you back this afternoon and we might get you to come back it come in today which I was totally shocked about because usually it's two weeks to get a bloody doctor's appointment yeah the c word changes everything oh yeah yeah um so that made me feel instantly better because I knew I was going to hear from someone. And when I did, she just, she didn't even get much detail out of me. She was just like, um, where is it? I was like, in my right breast. And she was like, do you want to come and see a doctor today? <laughs> so um, so I got an appointment at five o'clock. So that's Amazing. like speedy turnaround, same day. Mm-hmm. Um, so went off to Lewisham Hospital. Sweet. Which is, funnily enough, Broken down into zones. Oh, yeah, so is mine. Yeah. Um, I was in the yellow zone. The, I was like, oh, this is great. a different new zone to add to my collection of fertility zones. <laughs> great. Um, and after a non, a not unsubstantial wait, I finally got to see a doctor. And oh. she said, she was basically like, yeah, it's about a centimetre wide. It's God, that's, that's like a lump, isn't it? It is a lump, yeah. yeah. And but she said it's mobile, which she seemed to think was a good thing. Okay, I don't know what it's that means. Making my boobs feel weird, but carry on. I know, yeah, but it's in the same. Like it's not moving around. It's in the same place, but it, I think she could move it. Yeah, if she pushed it, I think that's that was gross. The, I know. That's I'm so sorry. Gross. It is gross, isn't it? Um, so she kind of felt at the end of that that little feel up. She was like, I don't think it's the big C. The big C, but um, but I'm gonna fast track you to the breast clinic to get it sorted out to get them to check it for you so um basically I got a letter in the post the other day and I've got an appointment next Tuesday well that's scary AF but an example of the NHS working very well it all it was a very quick turnaround Mm -hmm. um and um yeah so I, I, I do feel instantly better Better having done, you know, better from Dr. Google. Yeah. And then felt better from Real Doctor. Yeah. And then I was curious. So I put a post up on Instagram. Yeah. And turns out that breast lumps are not uncommon After with IVF. IVF. Well, it's hormonal changes, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like, I remember when I was about 14, I had a lump and obviously freaked out and went to see the school nurse. And she poked me and was like, mm, it's hormonal changes. Mm. And that was... She was like, don't even go and see a doctor. Really? Yeah, it, was, it wasn't It was a very big lump. Well, I just, I mean, at the back of my head, I was like, this has been brought on by IVF drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but of course, I that was when I was still thinking it was cancer. I was like, you know, freaking out that that's what it had somehow done. Yeah. Um, but on further reading, it seems that IVF can bring on certain cancers if you're predisposed to them. Okay. But probably not as quickly as this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that would have been very this quick. Like very speedy. <laughs> um, 
But anyway, so I put it on Instagram and well, yeah, I got lots of responses. I'm oh not going to read out the names, but I'll just read out a few of the stories. Um, yeah, I had a lump like an elbow. My GP referred me for further investigation. It turned out to be the largest of six cysts, says one person. Yes, two months after treatment, I got a huge lump. It grew so fast that I knew it must be a cyst. And by the time the appointment came around for the breast clinic, it had disappeared. Always best to get checked out, though. Good advice. True. Um, what else? Yeah, unfortunately, normal. Get it checked for peace of mind. Another one. I got a bus straight to Cystville. Apparently, <laughs> it's quite common. The GP copped a feel and sent me on my way with some antibiotics. Ah. Oh. Yeah. So, seems that it happens, guys. And... I I just was quite shocked because I haven't heard anyone talk about it. And no, I've never heard. There was about no it. kind of warning from the doctor. Yeah, that is it's a weird thing that just hasn't. I've never heard addressed. No, and someone actually, another person that commented on my post said that in Europe they demand. Well, they don't demand, but they suggest you have mammograms during the process. Really? Yeah, I'm going to look into that. I don't know. Um, yeah, because that's very painful. I think a mammogram. I don't know that. All I is know it? is, yeah, all isn't the... it just lop your boobs on a scanner on a no, like photocopier? They, like, squidge it around. Oh, do they? Oh yeah. God, I hope that's not what I have to do next week. Yeah, and if you've years, got really sore boobs from having um, from having IVF, that's mm. not going to be a fun experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God. Well, I'll, I'll report back next week what okay, happens. Do. But I think I wanted to make sure we mentioned it just because it's so fucking scary, and yeah. I just never heard anyone mention it. So if it happens to anyone else. Yeah. You know that it's actually Probably. quite common. Yeah. But obviously get it checked yeah, out. Yeah, always get it checked out. And it's also a stark reminder to me that we should all be copping a feel as often as possible. We should be. I'd recommend actually following the copper feel on Instagram because they do remind you to feel your boobs in lots of fun ways <laughs> with great imagery. Okay, I'm going to follow that. <laughs> um, uh, so I followed it as a result. Of course. Are you... Um, been scared for your life this week um my my scared for my life has gone has diminished as as the days have passed I think I felt much better as I say after speaking to the doctor and doing some reading and I felt even better after posting that on Instagram Mm -hmm. and getting that response so I I am now probably residing positively sweet not my brain is not uh, doing the c word journey although obviously we don't know anything until next week but well you know we have this we all have the c word chucked around sometimes right Me last week yeah exactly this week. what's that about <laughs> maybe we've reached a certain age oh my god it's a nightmare anyway so okay so that happened um not great then uh i'll lighten the tone a bit i watched okay an episode of QI okay which may as well have been made for us really yes it was the pathology episode okay and they talked about an ancient Egyptian pregnancy test how did they do it so they would get the women to to pee into two bags one bag of wheat and one bag of barley okay are you getting this down um, writing it down now when boots isn't open things to do um and basically if if they both if either of them sprouted quickly after the, the urine then she's pregnant what yeah but if the barley sprouts first it's a boy and if the wheat sprouts first it's a girl the key yeah it's later obviously this was discovered i think it was discovered on a piece of papyrus like in the 60s okay and they tested it out and apparently it works as a test 
like 70% of the time. Really? But not the gender bit. That's apparently a load of bollocks. That's so funny. Like, but it's not like you're going to get two lines instantly, is it? Like, what? How long do you have to wait before? I guess the... there's a bit of waiting before the sprouts come. I mean, is it a two week wait? In which case, no, surely not. I don't know. <laughs> I, I want to know. know more. How long were these poor Egyptian women having to wait? <laughs> oh my god, I suddenly feel such an affinity for Egyptian women. It's great, isn't it? I yeah. just think it's so Ancient cool. Egyptian I thought women. it was such a good fact. Yeah, that's great. Um, that was followed by yeah. the second great fact. Okay, that when the I don't know if you maybe you know this when sperm and egg meet and conception happens. Yeah, the zinc in the sperm causes a chemical reaction, which is like um like a like a light show. Like I fireworks? Think I did know that and it looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I did I know like, that. That is so cool. And it carries on for two hours after after conception. I so did not like know that. Two hours, the egg and sperm are like producing the fireworks in your uterus or in your fallopian tubes. Or in your petri dish. Or in your petri dish. Oh what? I want to go and be in an embryology lab and watch that. It's so cool, isn't it? Do I you think you'd be able to see it with a naked eye? I don't Probably know. Not. I don't know. But um, I wonder if it only happens in the womb as well, because they'd caught, they'd they'd managed to image um, photos of it happening in the womb. I think. Okay. I don't know. Anyway, it's. I just thought, wow, I was really just loving this episode of QI. I know we have at least one embryologist who listens. So any anybody there who wants to give us a shout, like, yeah. let us know if yeah, they've yeah. seen like the cool embryo light show. Exactly. Yeah, that would be really or cool. Or blastocyst, like, or well, not even that, like egg light show. Egg light. <laughs> it's all the egg, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so that was good um, and then so today I've arrived at your doorstep to do this podcast yeah. with a box in my hand I thought it was a present for me it's not a present for you Emma, I'm afraid I'm really sorry no. it is a present for me if you could call it a present <laughs> um, my drugs have arrived for my FET hurrah yeah um, and before I get to what was in there uh, so Stork was the company that sent me them last time yeah. sent me them again yeah. except this time they didn't actually address it because I had them send, send to my work address Okay. but they didn't put my name on it they okay. just put my company name on it oh great so of course our head of operations opened the box yeah. and came sheepishly over to my table and was like I think this is yours <laughs> and I pulled out the delivery note and of course there it is fucking vaginal tablets <laughs> Um, you know, I was just like, oh my God, it's fine for me because fine I am out with a capital O. Yeah. But imagine if you weren't. Yeah, that is actually really bad. They you really, should give them a ring and uh, yeah. tell them. They should have put my name on it. Like, yeah. for fuck's sake. The ones that I'm delivered to me are called Fertility to You and they make a huge point of being super discreet. This was just... Like when they phone you, they're like, just so you know, we're really discreet. Um, yeah, well, <clears throat> I just thought that was unbelievable. That is that is not good. Pull your socks up, Stork. Right? Yeah. Um. Anyway, so Great I've got... Great name for a company, though. <laughs> Stork. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've got Proganova. Yay, my old friend. How many of those are you taking a day? Do you know? Uh, I don't know, but I've got lots of them. Okay. Yeah, you will You will have more <laughs> of them. I've got Lubion, Ooh. which I believe is the injectable progesterone. Mm, nice. God. And I've got more Lutigest to add to the Lutigest that's currently in my cupboard at home. And that's uh, the old pessaries. The pessaries, yeah. Yeah, vaginal yeah. tablets, as they've written here. It's nice. Them, vaginal tablets. 
<laughs> you have to drink a glass of water oh, to help God. you get them down. And another sharp spin because I needed another hey. one of those. So yeah, it's uh, it's all go if I don't have uh, lumpy problems. Yeah, you'll be all right. I mean, I what my next problem actually is whether I should probably tell the fertility clinic right about my lump. Yeah. What if they well, decide, oh no, you're too lumpy. You shouldn't do IVF <laughs> anymore. I think lumpy people are allowed to do IVF, mate. Oh, I just think of it as the wrong kind of lump. Oh. But you'll know way before you do to start your thing. I know, I know. I'm just a bit worried so, now. It'll be fine. Yeah. Don't well, worry. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Across the board. Yeah. Fingers crossed for the lumps. <laughs> fingers crossed for I'm all the lumps. I'm hoping it's a cyst or a bunch of cysts. It's mm. It's an unusual situation when you hope for a cyst. I know, right? Yeah. I hope it's a party of cysts. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, enough about me. Uh, let's talk about me Emma. for a minute. How are you, mate? I'm all right. I'm actually, I'm a broken woman, but we'll talk about that in a oh, minute. Um, yeah, I'd say, you kind of had to remind me about this before we started recording because I'd literally forgotten that this had happened so recently. But I had another bleed last week. Yay. Um, and it was it was an amount of blood that I was just like, oh, this feels insignificant. But after last time, the doctor call, had told me to go and visit, to like call them mm. if I had another bleed. Mm. So I rang the midwife and then had... Like a weird, like slightly confusing conversation because I was outside because I didn't want to have this discussion in my office. And I couldn't really hear because there were like trucks going past. Fucking trucks. I know. Um, So I couldn't work out whether she was saying I should come and see them or I shouldn't come and see them. Well, that's a crucial bit of information that you needed from the call. But eventually she put me through to the early pregnancy unit and they were like, come in. Can you come in today? And I was like... And I was kind of... I was not that worried. I basically wasn't that concerned about it because it felt like I've had this before, baby's been fine. Like, Mm. every single time I've had this, the baby's been fine. So I was just like... What kind of blood was it? It was like, um, kind of watery pinky, ready pinky. Like, it it was just not... It's just exactly the same as what I've had before. Um, And so I just... Like, I was like, she said, can you come today? And I was like, I really don't want to go all the way across town right now. Like, I've got work to do. Mm. So can I come tomorrow? And she was like, yeah, of course. But it sounded a bit like, okay. She doesn't care about her baby. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I went and uh, the early pregnancy unit at my hospital is so great. Like, it's the opposite of that horrible one that I went to. They've Firstly, the waiting room, I think I've already said this, but it's like a cafe Great stuff. Like, it's really cool. It's got, like, cool chairs and, like, nice tables, and it's just really chilled out. Mm. And um, and they just called me in. Actually, they were seven minutes late this time, whereas last time it was, like, on the nose of the mo- moment seven I was supposed to go in. Seven minutes late? Yeah, but I got a consultant Ooh. to just scan me, and she literally just, like, scanned me, went, your baby's all right, and that was it. And then she was like, just come in. Like, anytime you're worried, we're here to make you feel reassured. And I was just like, you guys are amazing. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, so it's scan number nine of this pregnancy. Nine. Nine. So how many have people normally had at this point? One. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm not paranoid at all. Oh, Do you know what? Dear. When I first did my pregnancy test, I just remember turning to John and being like, well, you know, we've got to, we've reached our goal now, so I'm just going to be a really chilled out pregnant mm. lady. Yeah. Uh, it hasn't happened. <laughs> Sorry, babe. Um, yeah, so that, that was that. And it was weird because as I was going in, like I did a kind of Instagram story of how cool the waiting room was. And everybody was like, oh my God, I hope you're okay. And I... I didn't want to say to anybody, to be honest, I'm not that worried, because I felt like that would jinx it. Right. That's good thinking. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't. And then afterwards, I was just like, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And I, But I didn't want to be, like, arrogant about it. I didn't want to... Hmm. I didn't want to come across as arrogant and everything's fine. But I've since had another bleed and I just haven't said... I haven't done anything because I just like if this is gonna keep happening and then I got a load of messages being like could it be this could it be that and one message from a lady and she said is it possible you have a cervical ectropian or ectropian and that is basically uh, the, the way I've had it described to me because I do have that and I knew that already is that um a little bit of your uterus kind of grows out into your cervix okay. and it's just it's really like red raw and bleeds all the time and it's not painful or anything okay God, but it sounded just, painful it does sound painful uh, it's not it just I, i've always been quite bleedy i've always bled quite a lot and because there's a lot more blood down there right uh, now pumping through it's even more sensitive than usual right um so I, I'm, I'm like 90% sure that's what it is. Yeah, that sounds plausible, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And when she said that, I Googled it and was like, yes, that is what I have. Wow. You know, it's just made me even more like, I don't think there's a problem with this. Okay. Other than it's quite annoying. Yeah. And I still can't buy any nice pants. Oh, God, that's annoying. Yeah, it is annoying. But... Um, I think pregnancy is the time where you don't get periods. Mate, I mean... You look forward to not having to bloody wear tampons or pads i'm not wearing tampons that's yeah, for sure well, not one of those, but. Um, <laughs> but yeah so so that's kind of you know fine it's like i'll get over it yeah um and then the only other thing that's happened this week is um me hormones have affected me moods oh no and um we spent four days down in our house in margate mm-hmm um, and we've been like sanding the floors and doing stuff to them, and um, which is exciting. Which is exciting. Also DIY, quite hard if you're pregnant, mm. because firstly whole body vibrations, not something you should be doing. Right. So we had a floor sander and it was making the whole floor vibrate. And I like while I was standing there, help like holding the lead. Mm. Um, yeah, this baby's gonna fall out. I was googling like vibrations and is it a problem and. Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Um, and then, so I was like, okay, I'm going to go in the other room and like fill some holes in the floors mm. using wood filler. Yeah. And Sounds I, like a good task. Yeah, exactly. And I spent about 15 minutes doing it and the fumes were quite strong. So I was like, hmm. Um, and then basically looked at the gun and it said, um, believed to cause harm to the unborn child. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So I had been wearing a mask with like a filter, like a proper mask, okay. face mask, and I had the window open so that it was well ventilated. Right. And I did have it on my hands and then I scrubbed it off and but it had already hardened so I couldn't get it off. But I'm just deciding I'm just deciding that it's okay. 
that you don't do DIY. Oh, oh that's okay. That, that's, that oh, I yeah, didn't I think like, you should decide that's okay, yeah. Murder my baby. I'm sure that's fine. And then we had to do other stuff, like wipe down the floors with white spirit, which is quite fumy. Mm. Um, so I was wearing a mask and gloves for that, but I did do it. And then we were varnishing the floors. But none... The cans on of those, the, like, bottles or whatever of those did not say believe to cause harm to the unborn child. Jesus. So, yeah. Well, look, they've got to say that. Yeah, exactly. It's not like if you touch a tiny bit of this, it, you know, it's definitely going to do that. Yeah, exactly. It so sounds I'm like just, you were well protected. Yeah, and, you know, like, pregnant women do all kinds of random shit, don't they? So. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there are women who, like, work in garages. Yep. Like, who have to keep their jobs, respraying cars. Probably yep. not that many. But... I love the smell of car paint. Well, can I just say? I'm not going to be sniffing it anytime soon. Reminds me of tracker bars. <laughs> Don't know why. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so down there, it's a very dusty environment. It's quite kind of stressful. And basically my body was possessed by a teenage girl, moody oh. teenager. Oh, God. And I became a bitch. Oh, shit. Just like a horrible, horrible bitch. And I just... Poor John. I, he was like, he'd do something. And I... Or he'd ask me to do something or I'd do something wrong. And my brain would just come up with this like horrible, horrible thing to say to him. And then it would come out before I could stop myself. It was bizarre. Wow. It was just like, at one point this morning, he rang me. He like went out to get something for the radiator and then rang me and was like, I think I've got a solution. Um can you try this thing? And I was in the middle of painting the floor. So I like had a paintbrush in one hand and my phone like wedged up against my shoulder. And I, I had to take like the, a bit off one bit of the radiator and put it on a different bit of the radiator and mm. see if that would work. Mm. Um, and I, we had like a jug wedged under the radiator so it didn't get water everywhere. And so I started putting it on the bit, but it didn't work. And instead of just being like, oh, sorry, babe, like it's not working. I couldn't like wedge the jug under the thing. I just went... I can't remember what I said. I was like, don't call me again if you have another bright idea. And then hung up. And then afterwards, I was like, I am a bitch. I'm a fucking bitch. What is wrong with me? Oh, mate. So, yeah, this is the new exciting part. I wonder how long this phase is going to last. I don't know. (laughs) But it's quite funny. But, like, some of me was like, every now and then I'd come out with something. And then I'd be like, oh, that was horrible. And then I'd be like, what's quite sassy and funny, though? If only I was starring in my own sitcom, <laughs> this would have been perfect. <laughs> At one point, John just went, "You're hurting my feelings." Oh, bless! Oh, poor John. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Should I be scared? Maybe. <laughs> my horrible teenage inner self could come out at any second. So funny. Yeah. All right. Well, let's hope that um, regular Emma comes back soon. <laughs> <laughs> 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Rohan, yes. it's such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Um, so we, we always start by asking people to tell us about their journey. Mm. So tell us about <laughs> your, your journey. Where, where do you even start? Well, it, my journey, um, I think, really began in about 2011. Um, my um, now wife and I have been together for three years or so. And... Um, it uh, became clear <laughs> that we weren't getting pregnant, and um, for, which is quite an, uh, an obvious thing to discover. And um, and uh, I figured that there might be something wrong, and so I went to my GP, who arranged for um, a semen analysis test, and. Um, and and the answer the, the the results came back to the GP, and um, the GP said to me, "Yep, it's uh, you know you're a bit on the low side, um, six million sort of sperm per whatever." That's okay, right? That's okay. okay a bit on the low side. Just basically keep banging away. <laughs> <laughs> Words to that effect. Literally. Yeah, and. Um, and 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 for a few years, this was 2011. And for a few years uh, after that, every month we'd be really excited and hopeful mm-hmm. that um, you know we'd be getting pregnant. And it just kept not happening. And yeah, in in about 2013, 2014, I thought there's something really wrong here. And um, went back to the doctor, went back for another test. And this time, when we when the results came. We weren't asked to go to the GP surgery. We were sort of ushered straight into um, hospital for the results. Okay. And um, uh, and no one told us what was happening, uh, my wife and I. We were suddenly kind of split up and, uh, and, and told you were going through IVF. And it was... Incredi- you were split up, to be told that. Yeah, we were, we were, we were put into separate... Um, taken into separate rooms. My wife was asked... Um, whether she'd had an abortion previously, what? had an STD, um, and because uh, I think in the name of efficiency, they were trying to deal with us both um, quickly and and then bring us back together. But no one had said to us, "Here's what your results are. Here's what we think needs to happen." We were suddenly in this process. It was really shocking, actually, and really upsetting. And 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 I said, we, when we were brought back into the consultant's room 
um, and my wife was, we were both really sort of shaken. I said, hang on, just stop a minute. What's going on here? You know, I, I had six million things and mm. and and the, the consultant pulled out the old results back from 2011 from his file and said wait hang on no you you didn't have six million active sperm you had six. Oh my god and um that's insane and this and the recent test you've had was a similar kind of number and so the reason they were rushing us through this process is they were concerned that it might have dropped to it might soon drop to zero. Oh my god and um, and so that was in 2014, and that then uh, sparked a whole um, long process of multiple rounds of IVF and uh-huh. ICSI and all the stuff, which I'm sure we can talk about. Yeah. Um, but the good news, but the good news is that um, uh, six months ago in July 2018, we had a baby boy, and so it all and it all. Um, all worked out in the end and you know through that long you know um you know what in the end was about seven years of kind of confusion and heartache and pain and things you know we did I really ended up thinking it was never going to happen and it did and so you know for for all those people listening who might maybe feel like that um I hope it is some form of comfort that mm. however bleak it can seem yeah um it really can work out in the end absolutely can so, we go back to the the doctor that misread your results yeah. how does that even happen like did they did anyone explain to you <laughs> well, the snafu? I, no well I, well I think the reason it happens is that um at least my experience of uh ivf in the nhs and we were at university college hospital in london um is that the whole system is set up um, to uh, work for the doctors and, and for the sort of bureaucracy and not for not with sort of patients in mind mm. and this is just a classic example so the uh, the clinic um, the hospital clinic that did the semen analysis produces the results really to be read by other fertility experts mm-hmm. not taking into account that those results then get sent to GPs mm. who aren't experts at all in fertility they're just you know uh, they're generalists and so the results I've looked since looked at that um, bit of paper uh, in my file and um, it is really unclear um, it said six but it wasn't clear that that would mean Six. Just six alone, yeah. rather than six million. And so I don't blame the GP at all. I really don't. But what I do blame is a system that is really sort of unempathetic um, yeah. and doesn't sort of put its, you know, not enough, um, at least my the bits of the NHS I touched, um, people weren't trying to think, right, who, what is it going to be like for um, other people that encounter the system? Whether that's patients first and foremost, but also um, other other doctors and other healthcare providers, no one no one really is putting themselves in the shoes of, of those people. Yeah, it feels like when once you're in the system, mm. it's okay, but before you're in the system, it just it takes such a long time. Yeah, to kind of get people to realise what's going on. Yeah, and and I think we found it really hard. Um, just things like. You've got to wait for a letter to arrive. You can't email anyone. Um, when you, know, and you, you both know this, you know the whole IVF process is so complicated, and you know 
drugs and injections and turning up at the right place at the right time. It was, you know, there's nowhere that we had anyway that you could look online to see mm. where you're up to and what you're supposed to do on any given day. And, you know, oftentimes we'd turn up to the clinic where we were always used to go I need to be told actually no your appointment is at a different place altogether and there's no way of you know oftentimes no way of knowing these things mm. and as so it just made what was already so horrible even more horrible and mm. and we're lucky because you know my wife and I both sort of work for ourselves and so if we turn up to an appointment and you know it's it's the wrong place or the wrong time it's annoying but at least we're not kind of losing money whereas if you're getting paid by the hour and you've taken some time off work this stuff really really hurt you and um you know i don't sadly you know i don't i don't really see you know any prospect for change there my wife's um wrote a uh three-page letter to uh the hospital setting out all the points and and issues that we encountered and not only did they never reply they never even acknowledged the letter wow. it was given it was handed handed to them so um it, it is it is very sad i think it does feel like a very kind of um monolithic bureaucratic yeah. system at a time when what you really need is some real sort of personal care well it's funny because you're like i'm ill i'm a sick person mm. you know this is it's something wrong with me can you treat me with some empathy please yeah and so in the end and i and i know we're you know really lucky but um after a really truly um awful experience of a round of ivf on the nhs we went private and we were really lucky to be able to do that but it was also kind of pretty frustrating when we went private and actually the the difference between the private care and the NHS care was um, really tiny points like um, uh, during the egg collection rather than being sort of knocked out and taken uh, sorry rather than being sort of taken to the operating theatre which is quite a scary place to be and then being knocked out in the private clinic you were knocked out and then taken to the theatre so you never saw it Um, which is a tiny point of kind of design of mm. kind of process design and it costs nothing yeah and yet, but it what it is about is about being empathetic and 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 saying you know how can we make this less miserable well, someone's just thought about the pain points and actually yeah. tried to solve them yeah which is... yeah and our private clinic I'd, um i don't know if this is true of all we've i've only ever been to one but it um the walls were all covered in photos of babies that had been born thanks to that clinic and and so it just kind of humanised the whole thing and it really gave you hope every time mm. you went in there that mm. well if it's worked for all these people maybe it'll work for you whereas you know the NHS the bowels of this NHS hospital where the IVF clinic um, was um, and is was so depressing and there were no photos of babies the only thing that used to make me even vaguely smile was that for some reason there was a plastic cannabis plant in the, <laughs> in the waiting room and um, maybe this says bad things about us but we seem to be the only ones who ever noticed it and, and uh, I remember wondering what it would do to my fertility chances if I smoke yeah. some plastic cannabis leaf but um, but, but it was it's just so grim and needlessly grim it was so yeah. much so easy to kind of make that environment more human and mm. and and joyful and um yeah and so that was that was that was tough and um but the the in the private 
clinic. I remember a really nice moment when the uh, the doctor said to us, we'd, we'd had a couple of rounds in the private clinic that hadn't worked, and the doctor said, look, I'm, he goes, I'm Greek. I, 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 I prescribe to you uh, holiday, red wine, sex, <laughs> then come back. And it was just, it all just felt, you know, again, there was no cost to him saying that. Yeah. It was just, it was just a human. Yeah. Uh, and, he, and, and he kept saying things like, you know, if I was your friend, here's what I would suggest you do. And it, yeah. and that just made, to be honest, it just made it so much more bearable. These tiny, tiny things that cost nothing yeah. made the whole thing somehow a bit more bearable. So, so the the um, condition that you were diagnosed with, yeah, I'm going to try and pronounce it. Yes, oligozoospermia. Yeah, that's better than I can is say. That right? Is that right? I think so. Yeah. So, can you kind of talk us through what what it is and what causes it? Yeah. Um, well, so <laughs> it's uh, it's an extremely low sperm count. Um, no one seems to be quite sure what causes it. There are a lot of speculation about environmental factors, exposure to chemicals and all the other kind of you know, um, crap in our modern lives. I don't know if that's true or, or um, whether it's a, um, a genetic um, condition. There's no, I don't know of any evidence of it in my family, but, mm. you know... Um, what I think is, is, is what I found really interesting and what I think both my wife and I found really sort of... Um, disturbing was that because there's a medical response which is IVF and ICSI Um. none of the doctors we spoke to even in the private clinic um, thought recommended that I do anything at all differently Mm -hmm. and you know my wife to her total kind of credit just wouldn't stand for that and made me largely against my will go to the gym stop (laughs) drinking um, um, you know eat um, much better and, and, and all this stuff and, I, and to be honest I was happy to do it too but I did think I was doing it just so I could do something I didn't yeah. think it would make a difference and my numbers went up like close to a, a million volts I went up from that test in 2011 of having six active sperm um, when it was done again three or four years later it hadn't really changed um, but within I think six months it had gone up to about four million um, well done. And I think it's because of the thing, you know, exercise and all the rest. And so the, I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced there's a relationship between lifestyle and, um, you know, sperm count. But as I say, because the, all the doctors we talked to would say, oh, you need one good one. Or, yeah. And so, and even though the, the procedure is so invasive for women and, and, and horrible, um, yeah, I wasn't told to do anything different. It's insane. So we, I mean, we talk about it quite a lot because um, my husband went to see a urologist who said the same. He said, because ICSI is available, it means that men, you know, men don't get treated and yeah. their conditions go unnoticed. And it's just, it seems insane. But, it does seem insane. Um, but you made all of those lifestyle choices. And I'm almost certain that that, that made a difference. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it did. I mean, what I do, what was also interesting and the reason I've, I've um, you know, I, I wrote a piece about um my experience was that um, lots of my friends had been through IVF, um, male friends and you know and their partners, and but I hadn't been able to find a, maybe it's just my friends, but I hadn't been able to find someone who had admitted mm-hmm. that it was an issue 
on their side. There was a guy, it was an issue on their side. And they were really happy talking about their wives' ectopic pregnancies and cysts and all this, really in kind of graphic detail. But when it came to themselves, not at all. And, and particularly, I thought that was a shame. And I think particularly given that it may well be the case that uh, as a guy you can do things that improve mm. you know, your chances, um, I, I thought... Um, it, it, it would be a good idea to talk about it. I did immediately, when I sent, submitted the article to the Sunday Times, I've never felt like this before. I've really felt this kind of sudden fear that I had kind of emasculated myself in public and um, what were people going to say? And it's been really nice. And the response, uh, at least the people that have said anything, have, has, been, has, been, has been really nice. But um, it was scary. I'd say quite the opposite of emasculating. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's really brave and it's really helpful for probably millions of people you know I think it's important did you get have you had much response from other men in similar situation yeah I have yeah I have and um um I've been in contact with um sometimes that contacts me on social media and um some people that are in you know really sad situation where it looks like they have a zero sperm count and they're not sure what they can do and but you know, it, it's it's such a big factor in infertility, the male side, and it is under discussed. And you know, it, 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 um, I think, yeah, if people can talk about it, hopefully that, if, if if even at the margins it makes people feel a little better, then then great. But um, more broadly, you know, it would be, I think, a really good thing if um, the fertility treatments. Um, took into account things that guys can do. I wasn't even I wasn't even um, you know given um, vitamins or supplements that they thought I should take. You know, and I kept asking, kind of, isn't there something I can do? No, no, no. You know, um, none of that stuff. None of that stuff works. It's crazy. It's it really crazy. crazy. I mean, yeah. I, like sometimes I think it's it's that partly because there just hasn't haven't been that many studies into it. And, yeah. You know, doctors are always very reluctant to recommend you do something that hasn't been very heavily studied. I think that's exactly it. Yeah, and, and maybe they don't want to kind of give you false hope and so on. But yeah, it, you know, I, I I don't know what's um, going on behind the scenes in in terms of research, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if um, you know uh, because ICSI and and uh, IVF can be pretty effective I assume a lot of the research is going to further improvements there rather than a kind of step change in something like male fertility which would get rid of the need mm. of having to go through IVF and ICSI for lots of people in in lots of cases yeah absolutely it's kind of they've got it backwards haven't they yeah yeah so I think it's one of those times when you know I think the patriarchy really is real in there. And, and, and it's, us? And there's it's, nothing wrong with us yeah. <laughs> the women really can take graphic. the hormones they love it yeah yeah and it I mean I think um, I think I was definitely guilty before you know going to IVF was just assuming well you know science can take care of this mm-hmm. and 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 then as we got into it just realizing just how intrusive and horrible the process is well of course being a wonderful thing because it can bring children into the world which is which is great but you know any way in which it can be avoided um you know would be nothing but a good thing yeah i remember just before before we started doing ivf and my husband had like a genetic condition and um and i've got my own problems but we only found that out later Mm. this woman sat us down and was like ivf is really really horrible 
you should try not to do it. This was somebody who was at our clinic. Mm. And um, and we were like, why was she trying to put us off? I don't understand. Like, why why was she trying to make us feel bad about this? I understand now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get it. Um, so as somebody who's been in government, or at least advised government, and you've, you know, you've been there doing decision making, is there, does it kind of frustrate you that it is such a badly run part of medicine? Yeah. It, it, um, I think I've been really lucky until that point of not actually particularly encountering the NHS and the health system. A friend, when we, when we were first about to do IVF, a friend of mine who is, you know, um, quite a prominent kind of um, left-wing writer, and he'd been to IVF with his partner, um, he said to me, um, whatever you do, don't go through the NHS. And I said, comrade, of course you have to use the <laughs> NHS. Like, it's, you know, that's what it's there for, and it's great. And, and it is brilliant that it's, that, you know, if you are lucky enough to live in the right bits of the country, IVF can be provided free in the NHS. But at the same time, the fact that, yeah, the system is so um, inhuman, um, so unresponsive, um, so slow. When, when um, through the NHS we did one round and it didn't work, we never had a sort of follow-up or anything. It was, you know, it was, um, uh, it hadn't worked. There was kind of spotting and bleeding and things. And then there was just sort of silent and we told them and there was no, nothing else was ever sort of set up. And I'm sure if we'd have chased and pestered and whenever we'd have had another appointment, but, you know, there was no sort of right come in on this date and, you know, so in the end, in that silence, we just thought, sod this, we're not doing that again. Yeah, and, and, that's so and, sad. And went elsewhere. And, um, um, yeah, it was, it, the, the whole experience was, you know, um, yeah, really, really sad. And, but I don't, I don't, I think the sadness is I don't really see much prospect for change because, um, you know, the, the, the reason that the private clinic, I think, um, was much more human wasn't really because of money. It was in quite a tumble-down little, you know, um, building. And it was just more that they have an incentive mm. to think about mm. the customer experience yeah. because they want you to come back yeah. and spread the word. And and because and so much of, you know, what clinic you go to is because of word of mouth. Whereas in the NHS, at least as it's currently set up, um, you don't really have a choice. Yeah. And, no. you, and you have to go to the, your hospital in your catchment area. So in, in a, in a, it pains me to say this, but where's their motivation to change and be yeah. better? They don't or even, want you to come back, they don't care. No, particularly. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and, and just even, as, as we found, even responding to a letter of kind of, you know, constructive um, feedback. Um, they didn't even bother doing that. That's heartbreaking that they didn't bother to it respond. It is really sad, yeah. Um, I, when I phoned up after my first round, I, well, I f- couldn't get through, so I emailed them. Hmm. And I got an email back saying, we'll respond in five working days. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then they didn't respond, actually, so I ended up ringing them. Really, yeah. It was just horrible. Yeah. It, it, and I think, um, you know, some people might listen to this might say, well, that's because they're, you know, um, too busy and there's not enough mm. resources and things. And those are, you know, important points. But I think the way that the system is run so inefficiently mm. um, is, is, is what is, is, is the key problem. You can throw more money at it and there should be more funding, of course. But unless mm. the system itself is reformed, um, it's only ever going to be as unresponsive and 
inhuman as it currently is. So how did you deal with the emotional side of how many rounds did you do? Um, <laughs> many? I think it was about, it was three or four in the end. Okay. How did you keep going through seven years and four rounds, three, four rounds? Um, well, I, I think this is one of those, the truth is it's, it's my wife who kept going and deserves kind of all the credit yeah. in the world. Um, the kind of practical things we did um, take long. We were lucky enough to be able to kind of go on holiday after each mm-hmm. um, failed thing. Yeah, because um, you can't plan holidays. You can't plan holidays. Um, we um, we uh, there's a really great um, uh, set of friends we have who had had a baby through IVF. Um, and they're the ones who sort of more than anything just kept telling us that they had been in the same situation mm. and they thought it would never work and it did so just keep yeah. keep going and I that was the kind of hardest thing was yeah that that um, that that feeling of hopelessness and also just time just drifting mm. by um, we also um, and again my this is my wife's you know brilliance but she sort of thought that um it was right that we should use IVF as a kind of reason to like get our lives in order and so the things that we um wanted to kind of um you know put right or um do so we started um building a library in Sri Lanka where my family's from and things like that and Mm. it was all about sort of sort of saying um to ourselves really as much as um you know, uh, how can we um, um, put our our affairs in kind of order, such that um, you know, hopefully things would start to move again. Yeah. We kept talking to ourselves about the membrane. We, we had this term, the membrane, that something was kind of stopping us from moving forward. And um, I've no, you know, it, it might sound a bit mad, but we, um, yeah, really. Uh, kept thinking of things that might like puncture a hole in the membrane mm. um, I don't know whatever gets you through but I think that makes sense because you you're not you can't achieve the thing that you're trying to achieve most so you, you can look elsewhere to go and get yeah. things started and get things done yeah 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 it was it, it was um I mean something worked in the end <laughs> and but I think it it, it, it I, I think one of the things we found hard was um, the doctors would sort of say to us, kind of, it's a numbers game and or it's an age game, and you're you know you're lucky because you know your partner is of a certain age or whatever, and um, and that just felt really redu- it felt like there was nothing we could do. Mm. We had no agency, mm. and so yeah, whether it was kind of me trying to be vaguely healthier or yeah, do things that um, we felt were sort of good things to do it yeah it, it it definitely helped us keep going and it's there's a happy ending there's a happy ending um i mean it, it it was it was a kind of torturously happy ending in that it was a 60 hour labor oh, wow. an emergency c-section <laughs> oh like, god yeah, just to properly talk about that right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> and when when my wife was on the operating table I said, okay, you now have, you officially now have naming rights. This is going to be earn this. Um, but um, yeah, totally um, 
amazingly happy ending and and completely worth all of it and it will be for you and for all the people listening and i guess that is the you know the 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 loveliest kind of punchline is that you know it 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 does if anything make you realize just how precious and kind of wonderful new life is we're both catholics me and my wife and the um we had a really awkward conversation with the priest at our church about ivf and he's a lovely guy but also not you know the Catholic Church isn't technically pro IVF (laughs) and I I think that's really funny because you know I think there's nothing that makes me more kind of um, um, you know in awe of kind of creation and life (laughs) than IVF being able to almost watch it happen yeah Yeah. I literally did watch it happen (laughs) and I saw them take the pipette out and you know I really feel like you know we were there and um, and also when you go through IVF often we had a scan at six weeks, which is yeah. a lot earlier than you would do if you were. Yeah. And and so to see on a you know a uh, little bundle of cells three millimeters across mm-hmm. a heartbeat is just mm. just amazing. And um, we wouldn't have seen that if it wasn't for IVF. So in a funny way, I sort of I'm really grateful. Yeah. <laughs> as yeah. horrible as that seems, and how much I wish my wife didn't have to have gone through it. Um, I sort of also think it couldn't have happened any other way. That's a really nice way to put it. <laughs> so last question, um, and I guess it's kind of, you know, we often end up end by asking people what their advice is for people who are in the same position, but I guess this is quite a similar question, and that's how can we get more men talking about this? Mm. Like, how can we get guys to admit to this and not feel emasculated, like you said? I know. When I, um, when I called my business um co-founder up and told him that my wife was pregnant he's a cockney and his first response was mate mate you're not a jaffa you're not a jaffa (laughs) meaning you're not seedless and there is that (laughs) there is that and then he started crying but but, um it i think there is this sort of um you know sense of manhood which is about virility and all the rest and and I, I get that we're not going to kind of undo that but um you know I, I do think that um you know guys I think I think talking about things makes you feel better mm-hmm. for a start so if that's a quite a selfish sort of thing um but I think it's also I think um uh, unless guys talk about it, the assumption is always that it's an issue on the female partner side. Mm-hmm. I think that's really unfair, and and um, because you know it doesn't really matter. You know, no one chooses these things, but you know, I think that it's only right and proper <laughs> that. Um, I remember I wrote a piece um, uh, about IVF uh, while we were still going through it. This is like two or three years ago, and um, and about the experience, our experience of the NHS so mm. far, and the newspaper put the headline um, what I've learnt about uh, the NHS from my wife's IVF treatment because you don't choose the headline when you write an article yeah, usually. and I had to call up and say hang on it's not my wife's IVF treatment at, 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 genuinely it's probably my IVF treatment yeah. but it, it should really be ours shouldn't it why is it hers and um, I do think there's still that bias um, anyway so hopefully you know hopefully it can change um and um I, none of my friends have yet fronted up to me mm. but, but people i don't know have 
texted and emailed and got mm. in touch via social mm. media. So maybe that is the beginning of a, yeah. a bigger conversation. Find more voices. Yeah. yeah. So, well, Rohan, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. We'll start the conversation. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I should actually do a little shout out because it was my friend Jenny that suggested those names and I forgot to say last week. Oh, nice felt, one, Jenny. I know, I felt really bad afterwards. Oh, well, cheers for that. Yeah, anyway. Um, so you spoke to Prof Tim. I did. Uh, we had a chat about intralipids. Intralipids? Intralipids. Sounds gross. It does, isn't it? It's gross. Sounds like some sort of insect. It's basically, as as Professor Tim says, it's it's like a solution of fat that's injected into your veins. Yeah. Um, it's part of it's reproductive immunology isn't it yeah which is according to the HFEO website Mm -hmm. um, a field of study that looks at how a woman's immune system reacts when she becomes pregnant so when you hear about natural killer cells and that Mm. kind of thing this is that's all the same ballpark right yeah of course Um, Um, yeah I my only interaction with this was our chat with Hannah Vaughan Jones because she said she'd had it yeah quite a few people have it don't they yeah she had a heart attack when she found out how many calories it was. Was it like 3,000 calories? It's like a lot. It's yeah. a lot. Um, I, like, when I was going through my, oh, fucking hell, am I ever going to get an embryo transfer mm. phase, I kind of thought about it. And I remember phoning my mum. I mean, like, oh, there's this thing called intralipids. They basically inject fat into your veins. Mm. And my mum was like, is it common sense? <laughs> And I was like, well, you know, you know, natural killer cells and yada yada yada. Yes, but is it common sense? Yeah. And Does I was like, no, no. Um, but then common sense doesn't really come in <laughs> when you're trying to get pregnant, as we know. As we know. Oh, the HFEA website, so they have a traffic light system for add-on treatments. Mm. Um, and so green is like really well proven. Amber is, there's a few studies that suggest that it works, but nothing concrete. Red is, there's not much proof. Yeah. All the immunology stuff is red. Yeah. Um, now, that that's not to say that it doesn't work. It just means that there haven't been that many studies proving it. Yeah. And the quality of the studies have not been very good. Yeah. So we all need to remember the, the whole point about us being guinea pigs in this new yeah. field of science. Yeah. Fun. Um, okay, well... Let's let's let Professor yeah, Tim take it away. So, an um, is a fat solution. I guess the clues in the name, sort of the lipid lipid bit, and it's been used for decades on ITU for people who need um, parental feeding, so they're being fed by an IV drip because they're you know unconscious or in a coma, what have you. Um, there were some very small studies suggesting that if women during an IVF cycle had intralipids given to them by a drip, then um, the study suggested that it might dampen down their immune system. And this is on the back of this whole natural killer cell hypothesis that some women who have fertility problems, that it might be due to their levels of natural killer cells in the blood or in their womb being too high. Um, So again, that's not been proven, so it's important to bear in mind there's no proof that there is any link between levels of NK cells and the chance of getting pregnant. And importantly, um, clinics that are using intralipids, again, with the view of trying to dampen down NK cells, 
there are no studies showing, no, no good quality studies showing that taking intralipids actually improves the chance of an embryo implanting. There's lots of anecdotal stories, so there'll be patients who maybe have had a few failed cycles, you know, normal cycles, and maybe had a cycle where they had intralipids and had a baby from it, and understandably think, well, intralipids was the answer. But the problem is, the studies just absolutely haven't been done. So from a HFEA traffic light system, the HFEA are already clear on this, and they're saying it's a red light for testing for NK cells, and importantly, treating, in inverted commas, because we don't know if it treats or not, and treating any problems found. Right, okay. Well, you know, thank you. I realise that it's controversial, so it's good to get your advice on that. I mean, it's, contra- it's controversial, but again, that doesn't mean that people shouldn't do it. So mm. uh, um, it's just a shame there aren't more studies that have been done in that whole area. Um, the and, and I, My feeling is that going back two, three, four years, I mean, every other couple were coming in and were asking about NK cells and having tests and... Um, you know, different things, what treatments can be done for it. And it just seems to be much less um, brought up now. I think people have sort of moved on a bit um, from them. You know, going back a year or two, we here you know, in Oxford testing uterine natural killer cells, and we've now stopped that because of the lack of evidence of benefit. Okay, great. Thanks, Professor Tim. enjoyed the episode I think <laughs> it was a good episode yeah it was a great one I hope your boobs are alright yeah so do I find out next week dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> <It's easy>. <laughs> <laughs> see you later see you next week guys bye being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare it pays to be extra and united healthcare makes it easy with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company they supplement your primary plan helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods so when it comes to covering your medical bills you can feel good about being a little extra visit uh1.com to find the health protector guard plan for you Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.